Book three, Canto eleven of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto eleven. Britomart chaseth Oliphant, finds Scudamore distressed, assays the house of busy rain where love's spoils are expressed. O hateful hellish snake, what fury first brought thee from baleful house of Proserpine? where in her bosom she thee long had nursed and fostered up with bitter milk of thine, foul jealousy that turnest love divine to joyless dread and makes the loving heart with hateful thoughts to languish and to pine and feed itself with self-consuming smart of all the passions in the mind thou vilest art o oh, let him far be banished away and in his stead let love for ever dwell sweet love that doth his golden wings embay in blessed nectar and pure pleasures well untroubled of vile fear or bitter fell and ye fair ladies that your kingdoms make in hearts of men them govern wisely well and of fair britomart example take that was as true in love as turtle to her mate who with Sir Saturane, as erst ye read, forth riding from Malbecco's hostless house, far off espied a young man, the which fled from an huge giant that with hideous and hateful outrage long him chased thus. It was that oliphant, the brother dear of that Argante, vile and vicious, from whom the squire of dames was reft while heir. This all as bad as she, and worse, if worse aught were, for as the sister did in feminine and filthy lust exceed all womankind, so he surpassed his sex masculine in beastly use that I did ever find, whom, when as Britomart beheld behind the fearful boy so greedily pursue, she was emoved in her noble mind to employ her puissance to his rescue, and pricked fiercely forward where she him did view. There was Sir Satyr in her far behind, but with like fierceness did ensue the chase. Oh, when the giant saw, he soon resigned his former suit, and from them fled apace. They after both, and boldly bade him base, and each did strive the other to outgo. But he them both outran a wondrous space, for he was long and swift as any row, and now made better speed to scape his feared foe. It was not Saturane whom he did fear, but Britomart, the flower of chastity, for he the power of chaste hands might not bear, but always did their dread encounter fly. And now so fast his feet he did apply that he has gotten to a forest near, where he is shrouded in security. The wood they enter, and search everywhere. They searched diversely, so both divided were. Fair Britomart so long him followed that she at last came to a fountain sheer, by which there lay a knight all wallowed upon the grassy ground, and by him near his habergeon, his helmet, and his spear. A little off his shield was rudely thrown, on which the winged boy in colors clear depainted was, full easy to be known, and he thereby, wherever it in field was shown. His face upon the ground did groveling lie as if he had been slumbering in the shade that the brave maid 
would not for courtesy out of his quiet slumber him abrade nor seem too suddenly him to invade still as she stood she heard with grievous throb him groan as if his heart were pieces made and with most painful pangs to sigh and sob that pity did the virgin's heart of patience rob at last forth breaking into bitter plaints he said o sovereign lord that sitst on high and reign'st in bliss amongst thy blessed saints how sufferest thou such shameful cruelty so long unreeked of thine enemy or hast thou lord of good men's cause no heed or doth thy justice sleep and silent lie what booteth then the good and righteous deed if goodness find no grace nor righteousness no meed if good find grace and righteousness reward why then is amoret in caitive band sith that more bounteous creature never fared on foot upon the face of living land or if that heavenly justice may withstand the wrongful outrage of unrighteous men why then is busy reign with wicked hands suffered these seven months day in secret den my lady and my love so cruelly to pen my lady and my love is cruelly penned in doleful darkness from the view of day whilst deadly torments do her chaste breast rend and the sharp steel doth rive her heart in tway all for she scudamore will not deny yet thou vile man vile scudamore art sound ne canst her aid ne canst her foe dismay unworthy wretch to tread upon the ground for whom so fair a lady feels so sore awound there an huge heap of singults did oppress his struggling soul and swelling throbs impeach his faltering tongue with pangs of dreariness choking the remnant of his plaintive speech as if his days were come to their last reach which when she heard and saw the ghastly fit threatening into his life to make a breach both with great ruth and terror she was smit fearing lest from her cage the weary soul would flit though stooping down she him a moved light who therewith somewhat starting up gan look and seeing him behind a stranger knight whereas no living creature he met took with great indignance he that sight forsook and down again himself disdainfully abjecting earth with his fair forehead struck which the bold virgin seeing gan apply fit medicine to his grief and spake thus courteously ah gentle knight whose deep conceived grief well seems to exceed the power of patience yet if that heavenly grace some good relief you send submit you to high providence and ever in your noble heart prepense that all the sorrow in the world is less than virtue's might and value's confidence for who nil bide the burden of distress must not here think to live for life is wretchedness therefore fair sir do comfort do you take and freely read what wicked felon so hath outraged you and thralled your gentle make perhaps this hand may help to ease your woe and wreak your sorrow on your cruel foe at least it fair endeavor will apply those feeling words so near the quick did go that up his head he reared easily and leaning on his elbow these few words let fly what boots it plain that cannot be redressed and so vain sorrow in a fruitless ear 
Such power of hand, nor skill of learned breast, No worldly price cannot redeem my dear Out of her thraldom and continual fear. For he, the tyrant which her hath in ward, By strong enchantments and black magic leer, Hath in a dungeon deep her close embarred, And many dreadful fiends hath pointed to her guard. There he tormenteth her most terribly, And day and night afflicts with mortal pain, Because to yield him love she doth deny, Once to me yold, not to be yold again. But yet by torture he would her constrain love To conceive in her disdainful breast, Till so she do, she must in duel remain, Ne may by living means be thence released. What boots it then to plain that cannot be redressed? With this sad hersel of his heavy stress, the warlike damsel was impassioned sore, and said, Sir knight, your cause is nothing less than is your sorrow, certes if not more, for nothing so much pity doth implore as gentle ladies' helpless misery. But yet, if please ye listen to my lore, I will with proof of last extremity deliver her for thence, or with her for you die. Ah, gentlest knight alive, said Scudamore, what huge heroic magnanimity dwells in thy bounteous breast? What couldst thou more if she were thine, and thou as now am I? Oh, spare thy happy days, and them apply to better boot, but let me die that ought. More is more loss, one is enough to die. Life is not lost, said she, for which is bought endless renown that more than death is to be sought. Thus she at length persuaded him to rise, and with her wind to see what new success mote him befall upon new enterprise. His arms, which he had vowed to disprofess, she gathered up and did about him dress, and his forwandered steed unto him got. So forth they both the fear make their progress, and march not past the mountains of a shot, till they arrived, whereas their purpose they did plot. There they, dismounting, drew their weapons bold, and stoutly came unto the castle gate, whereas no gate they found them to withhold, no ward to wait at morn and evening late, but in the porch that did them sore a mate, a flaming fire immixed with smouldry smoke and stinking sulphur, that with grisly hate and dreadful horror did all entrance choke, and forced them their forward footing to revoke. Greatly thereat was Britomart dismayed, nay, in that stound wist how herself to bear, for danger vain it were to have essayed that cruel element which all things fear, and none can suffer to approach and near. And turning back to Scudamore, thus said, what monstrous enmity provoke we here, foolhardy as earth's children, the which made battle against the gods, so we a god invade. Danger without discretion to attempt, inglorious and beast-like is. Therefore, Sir Knight, a read what course of you is safest empt, and how we with our foe may come to fight. This is, quoth he, the dolorous despite which erst to you I plained, for neither may this fire be quenched by any wit or might, nor yet by any means removed away, so mighty with enchantments which the same do stay. What is there else but cease these fruitless pains, and leave me to my former languishing, 
fair amoret must dwell in wicked chains and scudamore here die with sorrowing perdy not so said she for shameful thing it were to bend a noble chevesance for show of peril without venturing rather let try extremities of chance than enterprised praise for dread to disadvance therewith resolved to prove her utmost might her ample shield she threw before her face and her sword's point directing forward right assailed the flame the which eftsoons gave place and did itself divide with equal space that through she passed as a thunderbolt pierceth the yielding air and doth displace the soaring clouds into sad showers emote so to her yold the flames and did their force revolt whom when as scudamore saw past the fire safe and untouched he likewise gan assay with greedy will and envious desire and bade the stubborn flames to yield him way but cruel mulciber would not obey his threatful pride but did the more augment his mighty rage and with imperious sway him forced Malgray his fierceness to relent and back retire all scorched and pitifully brent with huge impatience the inly swelt more for great sorrow that he could not pass than for the burning torment which he felt that with fell woodness he affierced was and wilfully him throwing on the grass did beat and bounce his head and breast full sore the whiles the championess now entered has the utmost room and passed the foremost door the utmost room abounding with all precious store for round about the walls a-clothed were with goodly arras of great majesty woven with gold and silk so close and near that the rich metal lurked privily as feigning to be hid from envious eye yet here and there and everywhere unwares it showed itself and shone unwillingly like a discoloured snake whose hidden snares through the green grass his long bright burnished back declares and in those tappets were unfashioned many fair portraits and many a fair feet and all of love and all of lusty head as seemed by their semblant did entreat and eke all cupid's wars they did repeat and cruel battles which he whilom fought gainst all the gods to make his empire great besides the huge massacres which he wrought on mighty kings and keezers into thraldom brought therein was writ how often thundering jove had felt the point of his heart-piercing dart and leaving heaven's kingdom here did rove in strange disguise to slake his scalding smart now like a ram fair heli to pervart now like a bull europa to withdraw ah how the fearful lady's tender heart did lively seem to tremble when she saw the huge seas under her to obey her servant's law soon after that into a golden shower himself he changed fair danae to view and through the roof of her strong brazen tower did rain into her lap and honey dew the whiles her foolish guard that little knew of such deceit kept iron door fast barred and watched that none should enter nor issue vain was the watch and bootless all the ward when as the god to golden hue himself transfarred then was he turned 
into a snowy swan to win fair leda to his lovely trade a wondrous skill and sweet wit of the man that her in daffodillies sleeping made from scorching heat her dainty limbs to shade whiles the proud bird roughing his feathers wide and brushing his fair breast did her invade she slept yet twixt her eyelids closely spied how towards her he rushed and smiled at his pride then showed it how the theban semele deceived of jealous juno did require to see him in his sovereign majesty armed with his thunderbolts and lightning fire whence dearly she with death bought her desire but fair alcmena better match did make joying his love in likeness more entire three nights in one they say that for her sake he then did put her pleasures linger to partake twice was he seen in soaring eagle shape and with wide wings to beat the buxom air once when he with asteria did scape again when as the trojan boy so fair he snatched from ida hill and with him bare wondrous delight it was there to behold how the rude shepherds after him did stare trembling through fear lest down he fallen should and often to him calling to take surer hold in satyr shape antiope he snatched and like a fire when he hygin essayed a shepherd when mnemosyne he catched and like a serpent to the thracian maid whiles thus on earth great jove these pageants played the winged boy did thrust into his throne and scoffing thus unto his mother say lo now the heavens obey to me alone and take me for their jove whiles jove to earth is gone and thou fair phoebus in thy colours bright wast there enwoven and the sad distress in which that boy thee plunged for despite that thou beraidst his mother's wantonness when she with mars was maimed in joyfulness for thee he thrilled thee with a leaden dart to love fair daphne which thee loved less less she thee loved than was thy just desart yet was thy love her death and her death was thy smart so lovedst thou the lusty hyacinth so lovedst thou the fair coronis dear yet both are of thy hapless hand extinct yet both in flowers do live and love thee bear the one a ponce, the other a sweet prayer. For grief whereof ye mote have lively seen the god himself rending his golden hair, and breaking quite his girland evergreen, with other signs of sorrow and impatient teen. Both for those two, and for his own dear son, the son of Clymene, he did repent, who, bold to guide the chariot of the sun, himself in thousand pieces fondly rent and all the world with flashing fire brent so like that all the walls did seem to flame yet cruel cupid not herewith content forced him eftsoons to follow other game and love a shepherd's daughter for his dearest dame he loved isse for his dearest dame and for her sake her cattle fed awhile and for her sake a cowherd vile became the servant of admetus cowherd vile whiles that from heaven he suffered exile long were to tell each other lovely fit now like a lion hunting after spoil now like a stag now like a falcon flit all which in that fair arras was most lively writ 
Next unto him was Neptune pictured in his divine resemblance wondrous like. His face was rugged, and his hoary head dropped with brackish dew. His three-forked pike he sternly shook, and therewith fierce did strike the raging billows that on every side they trembling stood, and made a long, broad dike that his swift chariot might have passage wide, which four great hippodames did draw in teamwise tide. His sea-horses did seem to support a main, and from their nose-thrills blow the briny stream, that made the sparkling waves to smoke again, and flame with gold. But the white foamy cream did shine with silver, and shoot forth his beam. The god himself did pensive seem and sad, and hung adown his head as he did dream. For privy love his breast impierced had, ne aught but dear Besaltus a could make him glad. He loved eke Iphidemia dear, and Aeolus fair daughter Arne hight for whom he turned himself into a steer, and fed on fodder to beguile her sight. Also to win Deucalion's daughter bright, he turned himself into a dolphin fair, and like a winged horse he took his flight to snaky Loch Medusa to repair, on whom he got fair Pegasus that flitteth in the air. Next Saturn was, but who would ever ween that sullen Saturn ever weaned to love? Yet love is sullen and Saturn-like seen, as he did for Erigone it prove, that to a centaur did himself transmove. So proved it eke that gracious god of wine, when for to compass Billerus hard love he turned himself into a fruitful vine, and into her fair bosom made his grapes decline. Long were to tell the amorous essays and gentle pangs with which he maked meek the mighty Mars to learn his wanton plays. How oft for Venus, and how often eke for many other nymphs he sore did shriek with womanish tears and with unwarlike smarts, privily moistening his horrid cheek. There was he painted full of burning darts and many wide wounds launched through his inner parts. Nay did he spare, so cruel was the elf, his own dear mother. Ah, why should he so? Nay did he spare some time to prick himself, that he might taste the sweet consuming woe which he had wrought to many others moe. But to declare the mournful tragedies and spoils, wherewith he all the ground did strow, more eath to number with how many eyes high heaven beholds sad lover's nightly thievery. Kings, queens, lords, ladies, knights, and damsels gent were heaped together with the vulgar sort, and mingled with the rascal rabblement, without respect of person or of port, to show Dan Cupid's power and great effort. And round about a border was entrailed of broken bows and arrows shivered short, and a long bloody river through them railed, so lively and so like that living sense had failed. And at the upper end of that fair room there was an altar built of precious stone of passing value and of great renown, on which there stood an image, all alone, of massy gold, which with his own light shone. And wings it had with sundry colors dight, more sundry colors than the proud Pavone bears in his boasted fan, or iris bright, when her discolored bow she spreads through heaven's height.
Blindfold he was, and in his cruel fist A mortal bow and arrows keen did hold, With which he shot at random when him list, Some headed with sad lead, some with pure gold. Ah, man, beware how thou those darts behold, a wounded dragon under him did lie, Whose hideous tail his left foot did enfold, And with a shaft was shot through either eye, That no man forth might draw, nor no man remedy. And underneath his feet was written thus, And to the victor of the gods this be, And all the people in that ample house Did to that image bow their humble knee, And oft committed foul idolatry. That wondrous sight fair Britomart amazed, ne seeing could her wonder satisfy, but ever more and more upon it gazed, the whiles the passing brightness her frail senses dazed. Though as she backward cast her busy eye to search each secret of that goodly stead, over the door thus written she did spy, Be bold, she oft it overread, yet could not find what sense it figured. But whatso were therein, or writ, or meant, She was no whit thereby discouraged From prosecuting of her first intent, But forward with bold steps into the next room went. Much fairer than the former was that room, And richlier by many parts arrayed, For not with arras made in painful loom, But with pure gold it all was overlaid, Wrought with wild antics which their follies played In the rich metal, as they living were. A thousand monstrous forms therein were made, Such as false love doth oft upon him wear, For love in thousand monstrous shapes doth oft appear. And all about the glistering walls were hung With warlike spoils and with victorious praise Of mighty conquerors and captains strong, Which were whilom captived in their days To cruel love, and wrought their own decays. Their swords and spears were broke, and hauberks rent, And their proud girlands of triumphant bays Trodden in dust with fury insolent, To show the victor's might and merciless intent. The warlike maid, beholding earnestly The goodly ordinance of this rich place, Did greatly wonder. They could satisfy her greedy eyes With gazing a long space. But more she murveled that no footings trace Nor white appeared, but wasteful emptiness and solemn silence over all that place. Strange thing it seemed that none was to possess so rich purveyance, nay them keep with carefulness. But as she looked about, she did behold how over that same door was likewise writ, Be bold, be bold, and everywhere be bold, that much she mused, yet could not construe it by any riddling skill or common wit. At last she spied at that room's upper end another iron door, on which was writ, Be not too bold. Whereto, though she did bend her earnest mind, yet wist not what it might intend. Thus there she waited until eventide, yet living creature none she saw appear. And now sad shadows gan the world to hide from mortal view and wrap in darkness drear. Yet knowed she doff her weary arms for fear of secret danger, Nay let sleep oppress her heavy eyes with nature's burden dear, But drew herself aside in sickerness, And her well-pointed weapons did about her dress.
End of Book Three, Canto Eleven. Recording by Thomas Copeland.